This is the Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast brought to you by Art Wiederman, CPA with Ide Bailey. Whether it's taxes and investing or planning wisely, Art is the expert to make your dental practice profitable. At Ide Bailey, what inspires you inspires us. We provide a suite of accounting and advisory services dedicated to the total care of your practice. Visit our website to access our tools and resources tailored for dentists, idebailey.com slash dentist. That's E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com slash dentist. This podcast is distributed with the understanding that Art Wiederman, CPA, and Ide Bailey, LLP are not rendering legal, accounting, or other professional advice. Listeners should consult with their business advisors before acting on any of the information or opinions shared. If you have questions and or feedback, make sure to email Art over at awiederman at idebailey.com. That's A-W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y dot com. You can also give Art a call at 657-279-3243. Without further delay, here's your host, Dental CPA Art Wiederman. And hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman CPA. I'm your host, Art Wiederman. Welcome to the podcast. Well, we finally have some sun here in Southern California. And again, I was talking to a couple of our friends at Ide Bailey in uh, Fargo, North Dakota, which is where our mothership office is. And I never complain about weather. And then I was talking to a friend in Minneapolis, and I certainly don't complain about weather, but it's it's nice to have some sun out here. And um, today I have a great topic for you. I have a uh, a, a practicing dentist, Dr. Christopher Green, who I was introduced to through uh, both Mark Costas, who's been on our podcast before, and by Scott Haberman, who's a partner in our uh, Fort Collins, Colorado office. And uh, Dr. Green is not only a practicing dentist uh, out in Parker, Colorado, which is a suburb of Denver, uh, but he is also very involved in helping doctors with startup practices. So our subject today is going to be if you're thinking about a startup, and, and by the way, doctors, not only a startup, but maybe this applies to expanding your practice or even starting a second location, we're going to talk to you today about all the good, the bad, and the ugly about what you should be thinking about. And it is amazing how many dentists are still starting up practices and are being very successful if you do it right. So we're going to get to Dr. Green in just a couple minutes. What I want to do is I want to first thank our wonderful marketing partner, Decisions in Dentistry Magazine. Uh, Lorraine Kent and her team over the last four years have just been amazing uh, marketing partners with us. Uh, They have the best clinical content of any dental magazine out there, bar none. Uh, The top clinicians in the world write for them. Uh, They have 140 continuing education courses that they do on a regular basis that you can buy for a very, very reasonable price. So go to the website, www.decisionsanddentistry.com. We're now coming into tax filing season, folks. Yay. Um, So if if you're having any trouble with your taxes, you can't get a hold of your CPA, things are not looking right. Uh, We at I Bailey are here to help you. Um, my phone number is 657-279-3243. My, uh, email is a Wiederman, W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at Ide Bailey, which is spelled E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y.com. 
And uh, hopefully you all have a safe and sane tax filing season. And hopefully you don't get surprises. We get many of our new clients and we do get a number of folks that call us every year uh, that we help uh, come to us because, oh my goodness, I had to pay $90,000 to my, uh, to the IRS and the state of whatever state you're in uh, last year. And I didn't know about that. And it was a surprise and I had to go to the bank and borrow. So we work very hard in our CPA firm in the months of October, November, and December to make sure that that does not happen. Uh, I am going to bring up a couple things before we get to Dr. Green. First of all, for those of you who are not aware, um, there is uh, in about 20 states now, uh, there is something called a workaround to the loss of the state tax deduction. So back in 2017, when the um, the Republican-controlled Congress and President Trump got past the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act that was signed at the end of that year, uh, one of the things that it did was it limited the amount of state income tax that you can deduct on your itemized deduction sheet uh, to $10,000. Now, doctors, especially those of you who live in high tax states like California and Illinois and New York, you know that you pay a lot more than $10,000 in state income taxes. Well, you can't deduct that anymore. Well, they came up with what's called a workaround for that. Now, in California, it's uh, through something called AB 150. So let me give you an example. Let's say you have, uh, and this is only for doctors who operate their practices under S corporations or as part of a partnership. You don't get it if you're a sole proprietor dentist and you don't get it if you're a C corporation. So this is for S corps and partnerships, which is probably most of you. So what happens is let's say you got a half a million dollars of, of income from your practice. You take a, you know, let's say you take a hundred thousand of salary. That's a little light, but let's say that's what you do. And you got $400,000 left of K1 income. Well, you can make a payment here in California. It's 9.3%. So let's say you make a payment of $36,000. That's going to be your tax on that $400,000. That is a deduction on your federal K1 for your S corporation. So that's how you get the workaround. You don't get it as an itemized deduction. You get it as a deduction specifically reducing the uh, income from your S-Corp. And then you get to take that amount as a credit on your tax return, on your personal tax return going forward. The rules get kind of complicated. In order to do that, at least in California, you have to make a payment by June 15th of at least $1,000. But check with your CPA. Um, if your CPA says, I don't know about this, you might want to give us a call, but it is a way we've saved tens of thousands of dollars for, for doctors. And if you didn't do it for 2022, it's too late, but you can do it for 2023, especially if you're selling a dental practice. Now, today we're talking about starting, not selling, but that's, that's one thing to consider. Also, don't forget doctors that if you are interested in the employee retention tax credit, if you uh, have a greater than 50% reduction in your revenues for 2020 in the second quarter, as opposed to the uh, second quarter of 2019, you pretty much have until probably May to get this done because the statute of limitations on your payroll return will generally run July 31st. Um, the the credit for 2020 is $5,000 per employee for the year. And for 2021, if you have a greater than 20% reduction for any of the first three quarters of 2021 versus 2019, it's 20% per, it's 
it, it's a um, it's a credit of up to seven thousand per quarter um, for each of your employees. It's a big deal. We've done about one hundred twenty five of these uh, over the past year and a half, and we've gotten well over five million dollars in tax credits. And do be careful of any of these firms that call you up and say, by the way, because you because you look at TikTok, you qualify for the ERTC because you had to social distance, because you couldn't get supplies as quickly as you could. You qualify for all the quarters. Be very, very careful about companies like that. The IRS knows their name and they're coming after them. Uh, last thing is the HHS Provider Relief Fund. Um, if you got money between July 1 uh, and December 31 of 2021, you've got um, uh, until March 31st to report on the HHS's website. If you got that money and it's over $10,000 and you don't report, you will have to give it back. Be sure to check out our new Ide Bailey podcast, Ebb and Flow, a business podcast providing inspired insight on issues and trends the middle market faces. Hear unique business stories, get answers to frequently asked and unasked questions, and understand business topics that matter to you. Available now on your favorite podcast platform. All right. Well, let's get to our topic today, startup practices. Uh, we have a lot of doctors who are starting practices up, and we're going to tell you all the good, the bad, and the ugly about that with our guest, uh, Dr. Uh, Dr. Christopher Green. Now, as I mentioned, Dr. Green is a practicing dentist in um, in Colorado, just outside of Denver in the city of Parker. He's a third-generation dentist, and between his dad, his grandpa, his uncles, cousins, aunts, uh, I don't know, friends, I don't know. He's got the Green family has collectively 175 years of experience in the dental profession uh, in the family. In 2018, Dr. Green opened a six-operatory practice from scratch. So uh, he's going to kind of weave into this discussion kind of what he did and what mistakes he made and what he did good and what he did not so good. I don't know if that's proper English. I do numbers, folks, as I've told you. I don't do letters. Uh, but he opened a six-operatory practice from scratch that's rapidly grown to a now mature and highly profitable dental practice. Um, he also in, he enjoys the privilege of scaling down to one day a week uh, clinically. And um, one of his new projects, which is why he's on this podcast, is because he's been working with uh, Dr. Um, Taher Dehoun. Did I pronounce that right? Yep. Dr. Dehoun and Dr. Mark Costas, who's very, very well known in the uh, in the dental um, management field, uh, to start a project called the Practice Launchpad. And uh, we're going to talk about startup practices, and we're also going to talk about a special event that uh, Dr. Green and Dr. Dehoun and Dr. Costas are holding um, on March 9th and 10th. We'll get to that a little bit later. And um, so anyway... Uh, Dr. Christopher Green, welcome to the Art of Dental Finance and Management. Well, hey, Art. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, thank you, too. And I see on the computer screen you have a professional setup with a uh, a microphone. It, 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 uh, it looks newer than mine, but I'm sure it works just fine. And uh, one of the things I've learned about you in researching uh, for, for this recording uh, is that you are a guitarist and that you actually did a 12-city tour with your band. Tell us about that. Yeah, so uh, I think this is a fun topic to start with. I I like the the direction we're going here so far, but yeah, I started playing guitar. Um, I think I was in sixth grade. 
Uh, the chops are not quite what they used to be. So, so some fellow guitarists might say uh, he calls himself a guitarist. Uh, I don't think so these days because with uh, two kids, it's hard to find time to pick it up as much. But, you know, I still pick it up several times a month. But, yeah, we had a, a, a little band uh, back in the day I was, that we we went for about five years just playing uh, coffee shops and YMCA's and all types of little venues. And, yeah, we decided – after senior year of high school, we were going to take it on the road, get away from the parents for a few weeks. And yeah, we went on, we went on a little tour. I don't know. I think I would put air quotes around the word tour, but uh, <laughs> it was, it was a blast. Uh, so uh, how old were you when you did this? 18. Oh my goodness. Well, that's about the time you should be doing it. So, um, uh, so you're at the Jerry Garcia level. I actually went and saw the Grateful Dead one time uh, at the Los Angeles at the Inglewood Forum where the Lakers used to play. and. Um, that guy can play guitar, but he, he, he used to be able to play guitar. I think yeah. he's passed, but, um, uh, but, uh, so you, you, you so are your, are your kids old enough to start playing yet? No, we have a three-year-old and a six-month-old, but they um, enjoy listening when I pull it out. So. Well, it's, I'm sure they yeah. will somewhere down the road. So, well, that, that's very cool. I mean, we have all kinds of guests that have all kinds of great hobbies and stuff like that. And, um, I love music as I'm sure you do too. Um, so tell us a little bit about your professional journey. Where'd you go to dental school and how did you get to be where you are today? Yeah, sure. So you mentioned on the pre-call here that, um, you know, third generation dentist. So my grandfather and father, both dentists, and then several other family members, uncles, cousins, all dentists. And uh, I'm the oldest grandchild. Uh, so my grandpa and dad were like, hey, what are you going to do when you grow up? And it's like, I have no clue. You know, I'm 18 years old. I'm going to be in a rock band. Like I'm not, <laughs> obviously I'm, I'm going on tour with the, yeah. with the Rolling Stones, as a matter of fact. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to open for the stones and, and that'll be it. But, uh, so I started to have, have to think seriously about what, what, how are you going to really, you know, make an income and profession. And I had always been in and out of, uh, working as an assistant or, you know, janitorial services at their practice. And, oh my. Uh, and they I started at the top, right? Oh yeah, oh yeah. You know that's the beauty of uh, working for family. You uh, you're the first to get yelled at, and you're you're the first to get the grunt work and and all the all the rest. So yeah, I was definitely uh, doing whatever was asked me. But uh, basically, I said, you know, I'm gonna I'm gonna try to get into dental school, and uh, went pre med and all that fun stuff, like everybody or m many of the guests or many of the folks listening did. And ended up at Temple out in Philadelphia, graduated in 2013. And uh, from there, went back and practiced with my, my dad and grand and grandfather had passed at that time uh, and kind of got sick of Illinois. Uh, this was back. They practiced in Chicago. That's where we were. And so I started uh, looking to move to Colorado and was an associate out there for several years. So uh, and then at some point, I decided I think a startup is going to be the way to go. Yeah, and we're going to talk about the decision that doctors have to make between startup and buying a practice and going to work for somebody and maybe partnering. So we'll, we'll get into all that. So let, let's start the discussion about, so um, what what's the thinking process? A dentist comes to you and says, hey, I want to do a startup. So what's the thinking process to help them to, you know, to decide between a, a buying a practice, starting from scratch? Going to work for somebody, being a partner, maybe going into public service or nonprofit. What's the thinking process that you help them with when you get started? 
Yeah, I mean, typically, you know, we're we're talking to several dentists each of us a week. Um, typically, an associate that's maybe been knocked around a little bit. Maybe they're they're not getting treated or not getting the patient flow that they desire, and now they're they're wondering how do I get into practice ownership? And we'll just we'll just hear them out, hear where they're at, and say, you know, what what are we looking at? What do you what are your goals? What's your vision? Where do you want to live? Uh, what kind of dentistry do you want to do? And we start sorting through that. So that's kind of the initial call. And I always say, okay, you have a location in mind. Great. Let's let's think about startup and acquisition at the same time, rather than just pigeonholing ourselves down one direction, because there could be a great acquisition opportunity in that town that you want to live. And that would be that would be broadly better for initial cash flows, wouldn't you say? <laughs> Yeah, well, that that's I mean that that's what we talk about when and, and I've been doing this work for for almost forty years and 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 you know you you have to decide do you want brand new equipment do you want to make it the way you want it because if you buy a practice it's kind of the whole thing is set up already the systems are set up the people are in there you, you know you're get you're you're taking over something that you didn't put a footprint on right right I mean I've did a startup and I've acquired a practice and they're very different experiences for sure. It's still dentistry at the end of the day, but definitely uh, different challenges in, in the early days. Right. So so who do you think is better for a start? I mean, maybe personality-wise, who do you think is better for a startup and maybe what type of a dentist, what type of a personality or someone who has a thinking process, if you will, uh, would be better for a purchase? What, what, what do you kind of think? That's a tough question. I mean, and, and it's a, definitely a generalization, but in general, I would say for, for an acquisition, somebody that really wants to make sure that they have cash flow in the beginning, they want, they have, um, maybe their finances are pretty tight and they need, they need to have some sort of money coming in. Whereas a startup, you might have somebody that has set aside a little bit of an emergency fund, can wait for the insurance checks and the sort of ramp up phase to get going. Uh, that's kind of the the yeah. first place I'd go with that question, Art. Okay. All right. So they decide they want to do a startup. I guess the first thing we got to figure out is where are we going to start up? So what goes into the thought process, Dr. Green, of choosing a location for the startup practice? Yeah, location's critical, absolutely critical. Uh, it could make or break you in the early days with a startup for sure. I know some people that have gone into saturated areas and have overcome that by just levering up big time on marketing, and that's an option. But uh, for for most young docs, they're not going to have the capital and the working capital from the bank to put that much into marketing to make that make sense. So we're looking at dentist to population ratios. We're evaluating the competition. Uh, we're evalu evaluating the existing um, number of people that live in the area. You know, if I go to a area with twenty five thousand people and you know, 10 dentists versus uh, 75,000 people or 70,000 residents, excuse me, and, you know, 15, 20 dentists, uh, what's that ratio look like and how many active people can I capture? Yeah. And, and I think maybe a little discussion about opening up in a large metropolitan area versus opening up in a rural area. Now, I'll tell you that here in Southern California, uh, if you drive, I always use this as an example. We have a, a the biggest street in Huntington Beach, which is in uh, you know the heart of Orange County, is Beach Boulevard, and 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 I almost feel like when you drive down Beach Boulevard, there's almost a dental office sign on virtually every corner. So I had one had one doctor call me up one day say, "I'm going to do a startup in Irvine 
I said, you're insane. And he said, no, no, there's a little sliver of Irvine that doesn't have a dentist. I said, what are there, like four people living there? So how do you look at a, a, a dentist who wants to start in a metropolitan, large metropolitan area versus a rural area? Yeah, so large metropolitan area, that's, if it's what you described, that's going to be pretty tricky. And, you know, there's there's area just outside Denver, Cherry Creek. It's probably the worst dentist population area. Um, ratio in the area. And I know a lot of the practices in there and they're doing okay. They're not, it's, it's tough. It's a battle for new patients. It's just a grind up there. Right. Whereas if you kind of position yourself around the large city, let's say like Denver, LA, whatever, I mean, California is its own. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. We won't. Well, 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 it's but, California is now under underwater. Well, it's, it, by yeah. the time this, this comes out, it hopefully be out <laughs> of underwater, but some parts, we, we just don't hold water very well. When I used yeah. to live in New York, Dr. Green, it would rain and then they would say, uh, oh, you know, 20 minutes into the Nash, into the local news, it's raining. In California, it's the first 20 minutes of the local news that it's raining and what happened in the holes and all that stuff. So, yeah. Yeah, it's it's been it's, a crazy couple of weeks out there. Uh, but I guess what I'll say is, uh, uh, my pre- I'll tell you my preference. My preference is to, if you're going to be near a big metropolitan city, Look for a suburb maybe that's growing and that the there's enough people there to support you at, where it's not super rural, uh, but it, it's it's got potential, right? And there's not too many doctors that it's already saturated. I think the trouble with rural, at least the last couple of years, is hiring, okay? There are no people that's working, true. let alone in a big city. I can't find anybody in a big city, let alone like some little little town. And you're, you have to know that you're going to have to be very creative. If you want to eventually have associates, you have to be extremely good at taking somebody from Starbucks per se and turning them into a dental employee. Uh, You really have to know what you're doing there. And that's something that I think is often overlooked with the rural. Of course, there's opportunity, there's people, there's patients, but I think your your HR headaches could be uh, quite a bit higher and you're going to have to be a black belt at recruiting and training. Uh, I feel like you have to be a black belt recruiting and training now. I mean, every business is not only dentists, but uh, struggling with finding people. I know that the ADA statistics are that uh, seven, what is it, 17% of hygienists have just left the profession altogether after the pandemic. It's, 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 uh, we're not going to go down that road too far today. Um, so how did you choose your location? Yeah, so I uh, pulled, you know, first thing you do, pull a demographics report, kind of see the lay of the land. I said, I'm willing to be anywhere, I don't know, within an hour of Denver was kind of the thought process. And the, the reports came back. We were looking at a couple different towns. And then I just drove drove the areas. You know, I just drove around. Uh, the numbers are very, very important. But does it also pass the eye and sniff test? And, you know, what feels good? So when I did that, I kind of mapped everything out, started analyzing the competition. Uh, cold calling different offices to see how sophisticated these offices were that I was going to be going in next to and landed on Parker. We had a a pediatric dentist that I became friends with that was doing ground up construction and said, I'm going to have a space here for a general dentist. Are you interested? And it turns out this was a growing, growing town or is a growing town. And the intersection, he had a great plot of land uh, at a perfect intersection. That's kind of become the next main street of this area. So it, it worked out well. Uh, but, you know, I'm after coaching a lot of clients, finding space, it, it takes time finding the right location and then finding the right space in that town or that area. 
Uh, it takes a lot of time. And, you know, sometimes you strike out on three or four before you land on the one that you, you end up renting or buying. And I, I'm one who is adamant that part of your retirement plan, doctors, is the ownership of your own suite or building. And if you can do that at the beginning, I mean, it's kind of hard when you're starting out, you're maybe two, three, four years out of dental school or maybe one year out of dental school and you you want to start up and, and you're going to start up a practice and buy a, a building that that's a little that that's a lot of stuff. So but it's something that I would encourage all of you if you can afford to do it in the large metropolitan areas. It's a lot more uh, challenging because of the cost of real estate. Yep. So um, so that's a different location. So. Are on that topic, if I could, yeah, yeah. If, if you're in an area, you know, outside Denver, you're not going to find a desirable building like that for less than two million. Probably closer to three yeah. or four, you know. Yeah. So it's like it's probably out of the picture for somebody two right. to five years out of school. However, you're in Alabama, you're in parts of North Carolina, Atlanta. You know, there's banks that we work with that are creative, and it it's going to be like the trade-off between your mortgage and the rent. I mean whatever your philosophy is there, it might be worth it to get into the real estate right away um, yeah. with very little down, but we can well, go to- because, You have to just compare the, and, and rents here in California are a joke. So <laughs> the mortgage payment, I'm sure they are the same way in Denver. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah, nuts. I, it, it is nuts. So, so talk about some of the mistakes that you, I mean, you, you've worked with lots of dentists who are doing startups. I mean, you've seen others that have done startups. What are some of the mis- the biggest mistakes that some of these folks are making in doing startups? Yeah, I think under the startups have become pretty, you know, sexy over the last few years, right? It's it's become very popular to do a startup. There's these these Facebook groups that talk about startups all the time, and I think that and also listening to podcasts and these success stories, I think that we we downplay the amount of work that goes into it. Uh, so I think the biggest mistake is underestimating the the project and what you're actually taking on and thinking just because I could get approved by the bank to you know build this thing out that people are going to show up at your front door and you're going to have dentistry to do and you're going to make a bunch of money. It's not quite that simple, and uh, but others have made it look simple, but we forget that there was a 10-year runway maybe done before that to get to the point where now it looks simple. That's right. And then you get into the whole discussion of, do I sign up for every single PPO when I start the practice? We'll get to that in a little yeah, bit. Please don't. Uh, no. The answer is be really careful. <laughs> so let's talk about marketing. So we found a location. We're going to start and we'll get into the contractor here in a minute. But what kind of marketing are we going to do? What, what do you recommend as far as marketing a startup? Yeah, there, there's a lot of ways to go, of course. we There's a lot of marketing companies out there. Uh, yes. Every every part of town might um, might react differently or respond differently to different types of marketing. So some of it's you know beta testing certain things, but kind of just if if you said the, the the general principles would be work work with a firm. Don't try to DIY marketing. Uh, definitely build a nice website with some SEO management. Run Google AdWords. Uh, maybe some Facebook campaigns get your name in any of the moms of um, Facebook groups. You know, we have like a moms of Parker group. And then once the moms start talking about you, who do you go oh, for? Yeah. The once you get your name in there a few times, that's good. Same with um, next door. And then, uh, you know, we ran post a big postcard campaign and we, you know, ramp up your reviews, the Google reviews, you got to get a hundred as fast as humanly possible. And now you're on the map 
and now people, you know, they get the flyer, they look you up online, they check your reviews, they, they look at your website and they're like, okay, this person's seems good, seems uh, trustworthy. Uh, go from there. We did a lot of videos as well. So you could show, you know, you're human, you're authentic, uh, et cetera. But um, I, I love videos on a website. I mean, I, I like to see them right at the top of a website. And by the way, if you do a website, doctors, make sure you put your phone number right there so people can see. I can't believe how many websites I've gone on and I'm looking around and I really want to buy this service, not, ne- not, not necessarily a dentist, and I can't find their flipping phone number. Yeah. The, the last thing I'll say about marketing, it's absolutely critical, is you got to put the work, work in and go to, around to the community. Grassroots marketing, uh, well, you have a lot of time. You have a lot of holes in your schedule <laughs> early yeah. on if you're doing a startup. It, whether you and your your one or two team members should be getting out there talking to businesses, uh, doing booths at different events, and you know you got to be scrappy in the early days. Yep, you do, you do, and we have a lot to talk about. So I want to hit as many topics as I can. So now we got a location. We're thinking about marketing. Now we got to sign an office lease. What What do you tell your startup uh, clients about? You know, what What should they do? Should they Go in and talk to the landlord themselves. Do they hire someone? How did, what do you recommend on that? Yeah, absolutely. Do not talk to the landlord yourself. Uh, absolutely. Do not call the broker that's listed on the window of the building. You you want to establish, uh, we have some recommendations we could make if anybody needs an intro, but you want to establish a relationship that, with a broker that is has your interests only. I mean, of course, they have their own interests. They're going to get paid, but they, um, and then the landlord is going to have their own broker. Uh, you don't want to have the same broker for each. And, you you, you know, initially you find a space or, or a broker shows you a space, you get an LOI and don't sign that thing until your your lawyer reviews it because that everything's negotiable, right? Once the LOI is signed, your a lot of the framework of the lease is in place and it's going to be hard to backtrack on any of those big bullet points in the lease. Yeah, and... and uh... The way it works in dentistry, as, as I understand, Dr. Green, is that if if the dentist, the person doing the startup, hires a broker, they generally don't have to pay anything for that broker because that broker is going to go to the landlord and say, hey, landlord, you pay me a part of the rent because it's built into their budget to pay brokers to bring them tenants. Um, so that that's a good thing for you to realize. And you want to have someone. So you want to have not only a broker who's going to negotiate the square footage uh, and maybe TIs for you, tenant improvements, but then you've got to have an attorney who's going to look at all the legal uh, stuff in there. I mean, uh, there, there are things like recapture clauses and, and, and options that are personal or not personal. And we don't have time to get into all that today, but doctors just if you need a referral, you know, I, I can, we can get you one, Dr. Green, and I can get you one of those. So I want to take a second. I know that you guys have an event coming up on March 9th and 10th. Uh, I'll just read this. It's going to be in Houston. Am I reading this right? Houston, Texas. Yep. Uh, the Practice Launchpad is going to be hosting a dental startup business masterclass at the Voxel, uh, Voxel facility in Houston, Texas about startups. So talk about that for a minute and, and make sure you mark on your calendars. Doctors, if any of you are thinking about a startup or even a, a second location, mark this, you know, March 9th and 10th of 2023. Yep. So uh, the uh, by the time this podcast released, you know, we'll be getting close to the event, but we should have a few seats left. So act fast if you're interested. But uh, the, the event's going to go through A to Z in detail 
uh, process of a startup, you know, how to save $20,000 or more nowadays on IT, how to save hundreds of thousands on equipment bids, how to save hundreds of thousands on construction. And everybody that comes will will have uh, access to us to ask any questions. And we, we have a pretty robust manual. It's a playbook for startups. I mean, let's face it, this stuff's a, a recipe at the end of the day. And you want the right recipe and to be connected with the right people. You don't want to be fumbling around and say, ooh, I, didn't wish, I wish I didn't hire that person for marketing. Or, ooh, I, didn't w- I wish I didn't hire that person uh, to negotiate my lease. So we're just you know, there to connect you and show you the, show the ropes. And, and also, Dr. Green, you consult with dentists who are thinking about doing startups. Talk a little bit about your consulting services, and then why don't you go ahead and give out your contact information in case anybody's interested. We do this on all the podcasts that we have guests on because, folks, I only have the best on here and um, the best people and the best services who have, number one, 100% of my doctor's interests at, at heart. So if, uh, you know, give Dr. Green a call. If, you, if you're thinking about a startup and you want to talk to him about it, I'm sure he'd be happy to talk to you. So um, how do, what, what do you do? How does your services work? Uh, and, and then give out your contact information. Absolutely. Thank you. Thanks, Art. Uh, we do some private coaching for anybody doing startup or acquisition, you know, first time owners, pretty much getting them from, hey, this is an idea and I'm still an associate all the way to opening day if it's a startup or hey, I've found this practice or I'm looking at these prospectuses. How do I evaluate them and how do I do this transition? And we hold their hand through the process, as many coaching calls, texts, emails as it takes every step of the way. You know, we have videos and, and books and manuals on, on how to do all these things, but we're also there to answer those questions um, right away. I have guys text me this morning, hey, what do I do here, here, here? It takes me five seconds to respond with the answer. But it would have took them, you know, three days to figure out what the right answer is. I, I mean, there's hundreds of decisions that you have to make in building out a dental office. I mean, every oh, little part of it. So we'll we're going to get to that. In a, so oh yeah. So uh, your contact yeah, information. The, How do we get yeah, a hold I think of the you? Inv- and the investment there, it's it's folding of time. So you know, your time's worth money, right? And we want to just get you there faster with less heartache. Uh, but to get a hold of us, my my phone number. I'll just give my cell phone seven zero eight. 708-917-8019. Feel free to text me uh, to email about the event or just anything. Uh, email jbgreendental at gmail.com. And finally, uh, to sign up for the event or just to see a little more about what we're uh, to see what we're all about, the practicelaunchpad.com is a great place to go uh, to sign up for anything. Sounds great. Okay. Let's get back to our discussion, uh, Dr. Green. So let's talk about the construction because this is, you know, we go ahead, we find a location, we sign a lease. Now we got to build it out. So what kind of trends and let's talk about the construction process because that's a big deal. Mm -hmm. Um, What kind of trends are you seeing in construction space given, you know, rising construction costs and higher interest rates? Yeah, um, construction varies a lot across the country, as you know, Art. It is different in New Jersey than it is in California than it is in Colorado or Wyoming. Um, it's, 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 I have a client in Arizona and he's having no problem with his build out um, as well as the person in Denver, but we're paying a lot of money for, for construction these days. I have a guy in New Jersey. He just texted me last night and he's been waiting for weeks and weeks. He can't even get a construction bid because the contractors have no subcontractors. Right. So it's a complete mess. Um, 
And, and so, you know, supply chain issues have kind of been solved. There's some, you know, some things like an electrician recently didn't have everything uh, that he needed. So there's delays on kind of can lightings and can lights in the drop ceiling, but uh, most of the supply things are figured out, but yeah, you're going to pay a lot, a lot of money um, on construction these days, about a hundred thousand more than I did in 2018. Yeah. So one of the things I want to point out to doctors is, when you're negotiating or you have your the the lease negotiator lease negotiator negotiating your lease you've got to make sure that you can get a contractor to get this done it's usually 4 to 6 months right probably well we have a contractor in town that could do it in about 14 weeks um but yeah 4 to 6 months is more realistic art on yeah. a national level so when you sign a lease if you sign a lease and they're going to start charging you rent in X period of time, and you can't get a contractor for a year, you're going to be paying rent on a space that is going to be sitting there. So you got to be real cognizant of that. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So how do you pick a contractor? Maybe, maybe walk through what, what was your process? Yeah. Uh, I start, well, we might, I'll just tell my process. I started okay. with an architect that I knew and trusted from other people. And he's been in the industry in this area for a long time. And we picked three I think three is probably the max number of contractors yeah. you want to bid out. When you do yeah. four, they're kind of like, screw you. And they don't even want to put their time into the bid because they think it's too many. But three, you know, you bid it out to three and then you look at the bids and then you talk to them and meet them and see who you, you feel the best about, you know, because you don't always want to go with the cheapest bid because you want to know if they're going to hit timelines, if they're going to do quality work and what their relationships are like with their subcontractors. Cause it's really the subcontractors that keep the project on time. Now, a couple, couple of questions is number one, it's probably a good idea. If you are thinking, you know, you bid it out to two or three contractors and then you say, ah, this is the one I like. Don't you really need to go look at some de- number one? We want them to probably be dental specific, right? Typically, yeah, I would. If say we our, can, if we I can, mean, yeah. I mean, in, in a more rural area, that might be a little dip, more difficult. But if they're dental specific, and we want to, we want to go out and look at the work and talk to the people that they did work for, and, and say, how did the process go for you? Yeah, no, that's a huge point, and thanks for bringing that up. Sure, definitely, sure. definitely go look at offices. Uh, and talk to talk to references and not just, you know, just like with anything, you you go with the references they give you, but then go find your own references, right? And there's, exactly. the dentist, look, the good thing about dentistry is dentists, and it used, didn't used to be this way, but I feel like we're more open to sharing information. So if you have a local like Denver Dentists Club on Facebook or something, if I posted that, everybody would tell you their opinion, what contractor they like, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Uh, so that you probably have a forum like that in your community. Yeah. Or, I mean, there are other forums out there too. Yeah, absolutely. Um, And then uh, we got to go to the bank and get the money because most of the folks don't have a bunch of money. I know, I know that um, uh, from the bankers I've spoken to in the industry, startups run anywhere between probably 500 and $700,000. Again, depends on the the part of the country you're in. Um, plus they give you some working capital for receivables and stuff like that. But when's the right time to go to the bank? When do, do we go to the bank after we pick the contractor? Do we go to the bank when we pick the location? When do we go to the bank? Actually, the bank is, uh, very early. It's, it's one of the first steps. So once I have my vision and have my, you know, an idea of what I want to create, I'm looking at demographics and I'm looking at a banks because they're going to ask for all sorts of paperwork. I don't want to have 
a lease signed without knowing that I have a bank in place, right? So yeah, right. definitely. Ba- <laughs> I've seen that happen. That's scary. Bank's one of the first things, and, and uh, if anybody needs any connections to any bankers uh, that are familiar with this, just let us know. Yeah, both both of us have those connections, yeah. and there's there are dental specific lenders who understand your business, who have done lots and lots of startups. Absolutely, want to yep. want to do that. So, um, so when a dentist is going to go ahead and do a startup, right? Um, I mean, I've always we'll talk about the numbers in a minute, but do you see most? Do you recommend the doctors uh, spend their full time trying to get that thing going, or are they going to be working a day or two a week to pay some? But how 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 do you advise on that? Yeah, it's definitely a case by case basis. In my case, I just I was let go from my associateship, and I just went you know all in on my startup. But I had a pretty nice emergency fund, having been an associate for five six years. And I was ready to get going, and we started getting 120 new patients a month out the gate. Oh, so I had plenty. Of- wow, 120! <clears throat> what did you do with 120 new patients a month? Uh, I, we we processed them. We made it work. We were we were hustling and uh, got it got it done, and that's how we were able to grow so fast. Yeah, that that's that's amazing. But but I'm assuming you also had your side gig of going all around and playing gigs with the guitar, right? <laughs> <laughs> Those days were long over by then. <laughs> well, I'm just, just trying to think of ways to keep you making money while you oh, build this yeah. practice, right? <laughs> that would so, have been awesome. Yeah. yeah I would have yeah. been too hungover to do any dentistry. So let's do a little math here. I'm required by law to do math in every podcast. Every <laughs> one of my listeners know that I'm a CPA. And so, so I always, I've run the numbers, I've run the numbers with rent. And again, rent is a wild card because, you know, if you're renting in, uh, you know, Beverly Hills, California versus renting in maybe Parker, Colorado, it might be different. I don't know. Um, uh, but my numbers say that to break even as a benchmark, you got to bring in about 200,000 a year. Do you have any benchmarks as far as break even and then maybe how much working capital? Let's talk let's talk some numbers. Yeah, that's great. So, I think that overhead control starts before you open. I really do because you start getting in the mindset that that I need to save money on every last thing. I mean, you got to spend money in some areas, then you could control your fixed costs moving forward. So I would, my number is like 25,000 a month um, done with our process. If you could produce 25,000, uh, you're going to break even on your expenses. That includes, you know, payroll and things like that. And that's, again, a generalization. Okay. No, it, but, but two to $300,000 a year, because 25,000 a month is 300,000. But yeah, and you've got to be able to have enough working capital Yep. So remembering that most of the banks, from what I see, are giving somewhere between $50,000, $75,000 in working capital. So doctors, if you're going to do a startup and you know, if, if Dr. Green is saying you need $300,000 because we want to be more conservative than less conservative, you know, if, if you get $75,000 in working capital, that means you need to generate collections of $225,000. That's about... Uh, about eighteen thousand dollars a month, which in dentistry is not a lot, but now it kind of leads me into the next question of okay, we're starting this practice, and I and and I know that a lot of doctors' mindset is I have to sign up for every PPO that's out there, 
when, when you, as part of your, what you're going to be doing on the 9th and the 10th, I'm assuming that this is going to be part of the conversation. Talk about what you recommend to dentists who are doing startups. Do you sign up for one PPO, three, all of them? And, and I know you got to be careful when you sign up for a PPO, because when you sign up for a PPO, sometimes if you read the fine print, you're signing up for 10 PPOs on the same contract. So talk a little yeah. bit about that. Yeah, no, that's a it's an important point. And I think it depends sometimes, too, on the state. I, I would not sign up for every PPO under the sun. Uh, you definitely, you're probably going to have to sign up for a few because pay, people are very insurance conscious, especially if we're heading into a recession at all. People are going to be watching their money uh, a lot closer. So I, I don't mind some of these umbrella uh, networks are given that the fee schedule is high enough uh, and close enough to your UCR that you're not discounting your services, um, you know, by 50% or something. So if you could get write-offs, you know, let's say you have a fee schedule, 90% of uh, whatever, you know, 90th percentile, and your write-offs are, you know, somewhere from 25 to 35 early on, I think that's reasonable. Um, and then you go from there and you shut them down the road. And, and a lot of it is going to be your marketing and social media marketing is so important. And, Facebook and Instagram and Twitter and all and, and and then the website and just getting involved in the community. I mean, that's another question that I want to ask you is I always tell doctors they need to buy the practice before they buy their home. If you buy your home first and then you buy the practice, you know, let's say you buy a home and then you find or you're going to start a practice and you find the perfect the doctor, you you contract with Dr. Green. Uh, and um, and the folks at the practice launchpad, and they find you. They they work together, and they find you this great location, right? And but but oh my God, this is perfect. And and there's there's like you know, one one dentist to every five thousand people. Gee, wouldn't that be wonderful, right? Um, but then you live fifty miles away. So do you talk to them about the house versus the practice and the order of doing that? Yeah, I think that you're, you're spot on, Art. I think it depends what your priorities are. People are so emotional about homes, though, like we know, and sometimes the spouse gets involved and uh, oh, know, yeah. there's, no, there's no choice there, Art. But well, that, that, that I, ends I, it right I, there. I mean, the, the two most important, I've been married for 38 years to a wonderful, my talk about my wonderful wife, Lynn, all the time on this podcast. And um, uh, one of my dear friends in dentistry, Dr. Phil Potter, taught me the two most important words in the English language are yes, dear. So, um, you know, and it, it, it works. It, it really works. does. It's been working for 38 years and, and, you know, yeah, no, that's funny. But yeah, I think it's, I agree with you from a financial standpoint, get the practice first, then look at the home. Right. But uh, most doctors are doing it the other way around. Yeah. And, and, and we do see that. And I've had some doctors who live 30, 40, 50 miles away and they, they commute and that starts getting old pretty quick, but and they've done okay. But I, I always think of my, 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 uh, one of my long-term clients who I helped sell his practice about 10 years ago. And he lived in a, in a, a very, very much a bedroom community here in Orange County. And he, he got his, um, his son was an Eagle Scout. He was a Boy Scout leader. He coached uh, Little League. He coached NJB basketball. He coached AYSO soccer. He got involved in, in his church. He did all these things. And that's what built his practice. But it, it's a community thing. I mean, uh, you know, Dr. Green, you have, um, so you, I'm assuming you, you live pretty close to your practice location? 
Oh, about 25 minutes away. So I'm okay. not, it's not in my backyard. I also didn't want them run into people at the grocery store. That's another ah. thing. Is that what you want? That's fine. If that's what you're into for me, um, I just wanted to be, have a little bit of a buffer. Now, Dr. Dune, I think this is interesting if you haven't heard this before, Art, but he had a failed startup. So he pivoted to an acquisition and he wanted to live right outside Denver, looked, could not find a practice. So he found this practice in Greeley, which is an hour north of Denver, and he commutes every day. And but it was a win for him because the practice was right. He's been able to grow it. He went, he was the opportunity was more important than the commute. But I'm sure, you know, it does get old. But that's how bad that he wanted to succeed and he wasn't going to make a bad investment. And it doesn't mean that if you don't live, I mean, I always talk to people, if you can live in the community you're working, that's great. But obviously, Dr. Green, you've been very successful. I mean, 120 new patients a month. I mean, I, I, I'm assuming you can't, you're not still getting 120 new patients, are you? Well, 150 a month, but we, we, we have to be very careful. It's not we've shed a lot of insurances and, you know, we, we hover anywhere between 120 and 150. And I, I don't care if we get a f- some le- fewer patients nowadays. Uh, that's why we acquired a, a practice nearby. Yeah. That's, I mean, that, that cause you can't, <laughs> you yeah, can't sustain that. And, and no, it's not sustainable. Absolutely not. We were talking a little bit about earlier about supply chain issues. And so in the building of this, so you're saying, you, I mean, I, I, I've talked to some bankers in the business who who do financing for startups, and they're saying that some of their startups are having to be held up three, six months. Or are you not seeing that anymore? Is that kind of solving itself? Well, I mean, your bankers are in the know for sure. It depends. It really does. In some cases, like I said, in some cases, the supply chain issues are have corrected a little bit, but there are still scenarios where there's like that one thing that they can't get for this one client. It was lighting for somebody else. It was flooring. And that one thing for whatever reason, hold, you know, that's going to hold you up. You kind of need lights and floor flooring, you know? So uh, no, it is still an issue. Art, but I think most contractors, at least the good ones have figured out uh, plan B or C to get around it. Right. Okay. It's, All right. And it, what have you, what have you heard? You've heard um, contrary to that, though. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm hearing that, that again. This is California, so it's a different uh, it's a different country, okay. a different planet, and all that kind of stuff. But <laughs> I think I think that um, we have to uh, we have to ask. I mean, it depends on the area. I mean, you know, Fresno, California, might be different than Sacramento, California, might be different than San Diego, California. So, you know, we, I mean, we, if we, you're doing the startup and you can't get flooring, though. I'm, I'll, dr- I'll drive to Utah if I'm in California to go to a floor and decor and get the floor. And you just, you know, you figure it out. But I think that is a good question to ask the contractors you're interviewing. Yeah. Are. So I, I now, um, I'm going to compare this. I am starting on a journey uh, to do a bit of a remodel of our house here in Southern California. I've never done one before. My, my late father-in-law, God bless him, he was a contractor. So my wife has learned a lot about this stuff. Uh, I do the tax return, you know. So one of the things that several of my friends have told me in this is that you have to monitor the job on a daily basis. And so talk about the, because the, the the dentist who's looking at the buildup, they might be working a full-time job. They might be uh, working two or three days a week. How do you recommend that the, that the dentist who's doing the startup, how do you recommend that they 
get involved in monitoring the project? Do, do we talk to the contractor every day? Do we talk to them weekly? Do we have a list of how does that work? Yeah, I'm really, really glad you brought this up. And that's good advice from your friend that said that. I I prefer to be there every day if I can, you know, or at least five days out of the week. Now, it's not always possible. We have a guy that's, you know, 45 minutes from his startup. So he's only getting there two, three days a week. And I said, you got to start figuring out a way to make this priority as we get closer to opening day. And the reason is you start to meet the subcontractors. You start to meet the general contractor has um, some laborers that kind of are the handymen that will help you with little things. And you'll catch things. You'll, you'll hear things from uh, the electrician, for example, in my case, I became very good friends with. And he said, hey, this isn't right with the, your project right now. You need to look into this. So I'm getting tips on that. You're finding out if they're going to fall behind on timelines. And if the building department, if you're waiting on an inspection, I went over and pressed the building department to get over and get the inspection on time. Because if it wasn't on that date, all my subcontractor schedules were pushed out because they're booked up. So if they were supposed to come Wednesday and paint the paint, you know, and we missed Wednesday, you couldn't paint Wednesday because something wasn't approved. Now they're they're out two weeks because of their schedule. Does that make any sense? No, that's good. No, no, that is spot on. Great advice. Absolutely. So when we're talking about picking, come back to picking a contractor again, Obviously, you're going to interview face-to-face that contractor, right? I mean, you're going to recommend oh, that yeah. you do that. Oh, so yeah. what, are, what are some questions that someone doing a startup should should ask? What, what questions should we ask the contractor? Yeah. Uh, how many projects like this have you done? Do you What's your relationship like with some subcontractors? Maybe even interview some of their subcontractors. Uh, what uh, what's going on? And I like your question about supply chain. Have there, tell me about the recent projects. What things have you been missing out on? How many projects do you have going on at once? You know, where am I on your priority list? Things of those that nature. If you want, I have actually a list rather than bore everybody that I could send you if you want to put it in the show notes or something like that. I don't know how you guys operate. Well, but I, have. well I think I think what might be a nice idea if, if you're offering this, Dr. Green, would be uh, to my listeners is that one more time, uh, give yeah. out your email address yeah, and just, if you want Dr. Green's list, um, of, of things you should be looking at, he'll, you'd be happy to share that. Absolutely. Email okay. jbgreendental at gmail.com. That's, uh, Jenna Brady, my, my, uh, assistant, she runs the practice launch pad. She'll get it over to you. Okay. So, so that'll be something nice for you to have. And stuff. And and one of the last things I want to chat with you about, which we talked about a little earlier, and maybe we get into some detail now. I don't want you to give away all your pearls of uh, uh, March 9th and 10th, but we, you talked about how we can save money on different things. You said um, IT, construction, equipment. So maybe maybe just, and again, we're not giving out names of well, this person, if you go with them, you'll save twenty thousand. Okay. I mean, that's not how it works. But, but how do you? Let's start with IT. How do you save money on IT? I think it's about being intentional. So let's lump IT and equipment together. Being okay. intentional about every line item on there with an IT guy. Can I go buy my own computers and then bring them to you and and you know save the the markup costs because you might find a computer for 500 bucks that's the same model but the it guy's charging 800 so three dollars here there twenty dollars here or there it all adds up oh it does it all adds up so that's that's how i go through that with a fine tooth comb and and that's and we strip it apart right um 
Now, 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 how about on the on the contractor side? Now, this is what I've seen because I've been through a bunch of startups with clients over all these years. Doctors, if you want to win, I I, th- I don't know if if I mean the, Wells Fargo is a dental lender. They used to be called Matsco. Matsco was uh, melded into Wells Fargo. And the reason I mention them by name is that Matsco used to do a national dental design contest, and so if you want to be the dental design contest winner and you want to have waterfalls and fish tanks and uh, a putting, I mean, whatever you want to have there. I mean, aren't you going to, I know that doctors all have a vision for their practice, but the fact of the matter is, and this is my opinion, and, and Dr. Green, I'd love to hear your comments on it. People are not going to come to you because you have the prettiest office. People are going to come to you because they hear that you are a really good dentist and that you can be trusted to help them in the best possible way with their dental care. So, I mean, isn't you could really have a project that blows out of control if you have a vision that you want this thing to look like the next uh, uh, Disneyland, right? Yeah, and there's so I 100% agree, but you know, you want it to look clean and nice and less is more. I mean, I think we're we're moving towards that kind of minimalistic look these days, and I think that there's plenty of examples of how to make these things look nice on a fixed budget on you, you know, YouTube or Pinterest or whatever. People are very creative. You borrow a few ideas there, they think it's a state of the art facility and you really you're you're laughing cuz you saved a bunch of money on, uh-huh. on certain aspects, but it looks good. I'll tell you what, I have learned over the last year, you can learn anything on YouTube. YouTube <laughs> has got so much. I mean, if you want to learn how to boil peas, you get like 10 videos on how to boil peas, right? I mean, it, it, it's it's great. So um, <laughs> how about on, so you talk about equipment and then how about saving on construction? That's a little yeah. more on that maybe? Yeah, absolutely. So the contractor, one of the biggest things you'll have, um, how many items can I bring to the table? So if I look at a lighting package and I look and I say, why did the architect call for these $400 accent lights? And then I look and I, I had, this happened to me. So I had 20, 20 accent lights for my plaques and diplomas. I don't, I don't care about that stuff. Art. Like they're going to be right. able to see them. I don't need these 400. So that's 20 times 400. We, we caught that and you know, do them. I'm not good at math. You're the numbers guy. We saved that much money. <laughs> That's so a lot of money. Thousand, eight thousand bucks there um, yeah. on lights, stupid lights. Okay, so you're going to go through and say, how do we value engineer this thing? So it might be flooring. Okay, they have you wanted this, you know, this gray color um, LVT flooring, and from this they they called for it from this company. And you go to the contractor and say, is there a company that has the similar look for a cheaper price? And they go, yeah. Why didn't you ask? This, I got one for <laughs> half the price here. So stuff like that adds up, um, and then. You know, depending on what kind of chairs and things you're going to run, we save. There's ways to save money on plumbing and some of the more expensive things. Uh, so there, there's little tricks here and there, but you want to keep track of it all because you you, you want the contractor to give you credit for those because you agree to a bid in the beginning. So I agree to a bid right. with you. You're my contractor. He says it's three hundred fifty thousand. I come to you and I save eight thousand on lighting. I want it in an email with each other so it's documented, time stamped. That green get, you know, it's his bid is now less eight thousand dollars. It's two hundred three hundred and forty-two dollars thousand, you know. Because if you don't do that, that contractor just made an extra eight grand off of you that drops right idea. to his bottom line. Yeah, and it was your idea all along. <laughs> exactly. They, they love it. Yep. 
No, no, they want, they, 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 I, I would never, that is a tough business to be in as being a building contractor. Um, I mean, that's just a hard, well, hard business. And you want to ask them what, what's your profit need to be on this? They need to make money. So, yeah. okay. You said your profit needs to be 10% or 13%. Great. Then let's stick to that. And it's not, I come with these, these ideas to save money. And now you just profited and you're up to, you know, 15, 17%. So if they could open their books to you, see what they're actually paying the contractors, keep everybody honest, that would be great. Fantastic. Well, we've come to about the end of our time on the podcast, Dr. Green. Great, great information. Um, before I, I let you give out uh, again one more time about the Practice Launchpad event in Houston, um, any last thoughts, anything we forgot, any last tips you want to throw out to our listeners about doing a startup? Yeah, I would say it's not all about startups. Like I said in the beginning, I, I like to look at acquisitions as well, Art. I think that it's you 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 hone in on an area, you decide what's going to make the most sense for you and your family and see where the opportunity might be. And, uh, you know, there's there's a lot that goes into this, but be ready to put the work in and be ready to work harder than the guy down guys and gals down the street because it's it's work and it's it's you know it's missing certain things you maybe got to skip a few vacations skip a few bachelorette parties bachelor parties whatever to get this thing done the right way now that that's very very good advice because folks this is going to be where you're going to live for potentially 30 or 40 years i mean you may move offices but hopefully oh one more thing i want to jump at when you do a startup, how many how many treatment rooms do we uh, equip? How many treatment rooms do we plumb? Talk about that for a minute. I forgot yeah, that one. Yeah, good good question. I mean, ideally, I, I want seven or eight ops, but it's not always possible because you're usually looking at two thousand to twenty five hundred square feet. But let's say six minimum, uh, five's really pushing it. So then you equip three to four. You know, three's minimum. It depends what kind of producer you are. Com- depends what kind of patient flow you expect. I went with four just because I knew we were going to be rocking and rolling out of the gates. And then we added this, the fifth and sixth uh, six months later uh, so we could get that on the next year's tax uh, tax return. There you, it, you like that? A, I, I, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. <laughs> it's all about increasing the federal government's deficit. That's what I've done for a living for the last 38 <laughs> years. Well, Dr. Christopher Green, thank you very much. I think you being connected with Dr. Mark Costas is a great thing. I mean, I have the utmost and greatest respect for Dr. Costas and what work he does. I had him on the podcast about oh, four or five months ago. What a nice man. What a smart man. And so uh, I, tell us one more time about the event in Houston and then one more time, give out your uh, give out your information. And then I'll ask you to just kind of stay with me until I take the podcast out. You got it. So March 20 or March 9th and 10th, 2023, down in uh, Houston at the Voxel facility, we're limited to about 35 docs and we'll have, um, we're going to go A to Z startup. So it's a dental startup masterclass. Myself, Dr. Mark Costas, Dr. Tahir Dune. And if you're interested, go to the practicelaunchpad.com or email us at jbgreendental at gmail.com. And, uh, you know, for the Art of Dental Finance Management um, listeners, we want to, we'll continue to offer the early bird special. So please mention that. And, uh, you know, that's just uh, for all, uh, that's a gift from us because of all art does for the community and uh, having us on today. And just, you know, we we just want to thank art for for everything over the years in uh, the dental industry. Well, you're very, you're very kind. Dr. Green just made my day. That was nice of you to say. And and doctors, listen, I mean, (laughs) 
They don't teach you in dental school how to build out a dental office. There's no class. I mean, there's occlusion, there's TMJ, there's ortho, but there's no class on building out a dental office. So if you've got an opportunity and this is what you want to do and your dream is to build out your dream office with your footprint all over it, I mean, you, you've got an opportunity for two days to get every single thing that you need to to understand. And I mean, if we're talking 16 hours, there's going to be a lot of stuff uh, presented. So Dr. Christopher Green, thank you very much. Say hi to Dr. Costas for me and all the all the folks back there. And um, hang on as I take this out. Folks, thank you again for the honor and privilege of your time. I'm really, really excited about all the, the great guests and the great information uh, that we're going to have on here. I was talking to our, uh, this morning, I was talking to our head of uh, cybersecurity. And I, I in a half hour, I learned so much about the fact that cybersecurity is a big threat to all businesses. And uh, we're going to be doing, I believe we're going to be doing a podcast on that coming up in the next couple of months. Um, uh, do please and um, make sure that you put on your calendar for those of you in California. Um, and I forgot to mention this at the beginning, as I have done sometimes, but I will mention it now. We are doing a series of four live seminars uh, supported by the California Dental Association and Bank of America. And um, we are doing one Tuesday, March 23rd uh, at the uh, Stone Brewery in Escondido, California from 5.30 to 8.30. I will be speaking there among other speakers uh, including folks from CD8, uh, geared to younger dentists who are trying to make the decisions we talked about today that Dr. Green was talking about. Do you start up? Do you buy a practice? What do you do? Uh, Saturday, March 25th, uh, we are tentatively scheduled at Top Golf in Ontario, California from 10 a.m. to 2 p.m. Then Saturday, June 10th, we don't have dates and times. We'll get those out to you later. We, well, we have the date Saturday, June 10th from 9 to 12 it will either be it'll be somewhere in the Bay Area, so put that on your calendar if you're listening in Northern California, and then Thursday evening from 5.30 to 8.30, June 22nd in Sacramento. Come to those. Uh, make sure you visit our partner, uh, Decisions in Dentistry Magazine, www.decisionsindentistry.com. Fantastic clinical content and 140 continuing education classes that you can obtain for a very, very reasonable price. That's www.decisionsanddentistry.com. Our mothership is the Academy of Dental CPAs. We are a founding member at Ide Bailey. Ide Bailey works with about a thousand dentists. Um, the Academy works uh, 25 CPA firms across the United States that represent over 10,000 dentists. Um, go to www.adcpa.org or give me a call if you are if you're not happy with your CPA work, uh, give me a call. We work with uh, lots and lots of wonderful, wonderful dentists. Um, give us a call, uh, 657-279-3243, or email me at awiederman, W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N, at idbailey.com. With that, again, Dr. Christopher Green, thank you for your time and your expertise and what you and Dr. Costas and all your friends um do for the dental profession. And with that said, I will say adieu for this edition of the Art of Dental Finance and Management with Art Wiederman CPA. Thank you for listening. Please tell all your friends and we'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast. Be sure to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you never miss an episode. 
The Art of Dental Finance and Management podcast is produced by Ide Bailey in partnership with Art Wiederman, CPA, Decisions in Dentistry Magazine, and the Academy of Dental CPAs. For audience questions and feedback, email Art Wiederman, awiederman at idebailey.com. That's A-W-I-E-D-E-R-M-A-N at E-I-D-E-B-A-I-L-L-Y.com. Or you may call Art at 657-279-3243.